At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Are you going to make friends? I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but explain all this to you and educate you. So call me at one 800 743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. With the market growing a little more tepid after furious advance, Dow sinking 40 points, S&P inching up 0.1%, NASDAQ inching up 0.08%. It's the perfect day to answer a question I hear endlessly. Hey, why own anything else when you could just own the Magnificent Seven? Why bother with a drug stock, an industrial bank, when you could have just bought one of these highly visible winners? There's a simple answer, and that is diversification. You never really know what's going to work in advance, so you need to spread your bets across multiple sectors. Last year, for example, the Magnificent Seven were terrible performers. You'd be kicking yourself if you owned all of them and nothing else. But there's another reason, and this has to do with something that you and I have to work on. It's how difficult it is to own high-quality stocks, how difficult it is to stay long, so to speak, especially if you listen to the whamma-jamma pros, the researchers, and the traders. There's a phalanx of experts that are literally out there to get you to trade, to get you to sell, sell, sell. How else will they stay relevant? The bias is to get in and get out, get in and get out, regardless of how good the underlying companies might be which is why these seven stocks are among the most heavily traded in the business. I think owning these stocks through the gauntlet, the gauntlet of Wall Street, is a Herculean task. So let's go over what might have kept you from holding the Magnificent Seven and making big money this year. I'm going to use the charts to demonstrate how difficult it really was to get to the promised land of the higher prices. Perhaps it'll remind you to hold on to them or buy them back in the weakness when you actually see the visual, the pictorial. We're going to start with Alphabet. This stock's been tough to own for a host of reasons. Two Justice Department antitrust investigations, AI challenge of Microsoft, and the possible faltering of the Google Cloud. At the same time, though, Alphabet does have this amazing franchise of YouTube, and of course, it's got a remarkable search business. When the company reported, it told a botched story on its conference call where you got the sense that Google Cloud had lost a step, but they weren't going to tell you why, and that the NFL Sunday ticket, the uh, YouTube on YouTube, that we didn't know it was doing well. All they did was tell you that it was being is paying NFL a lot, and they liked it. Now, if you're going to stick with Apple after that quarter, you had to believe. Uh, that management simply just didn't tell the story, particularly of the NFL Sunday ticket well. And you had to avoid being freaked out by the Google Cloud shortfall. Now, I actually think that there's some truth here that the Google Cloud is bad. Um, they should have done better. I also think, though, that the whole conference call was not great. It's hard to convince yourself in the heat of the moment. In short, there really isn't anything wrong other than the glitch in the Google Cloud. I just wish they'd explained it because that would have kept more of you in it. Instead, people left. And instead, I think now we realize it was a mistake to sell. Next is Amazon. 
Now, that had been a rocky story for ages. In June, you had the FTC file suit against them for their prime offering. In September, the FTC sued Amazon again, being a monopolist. I mean, one of the most fanciful briefs I've ever encountered. You routinely heard that Amazon had far too many employees as they hired way too many people during the pandemic. We've been watching that slow motion market share erosion of Amazon Web Services for years. So there was just a lot to dislike. And remember, don't remember here, they, they had a terrible quarter and they had terrible expenses and people didn't think they knew what they were doing. Now, we, we, when, you got the, when, yeah, when we got the actual quarter, Amazon Web Services clearly was gaining share from everybody else. The retail business turned out to be tremendous, and so was advertising. Because of worries about the bond market and inflation, remember, those can play a role in the valuation of a stock, Amazon stock had been tumbling lower into the quarter. After that quarter, though, buyers came in and stayed in because the numbers were truly remarkable, and the cost-cutting here is, is just relentless. So we went down quickly. We shouldn't have. And then it's been up. They did some cost cuts even tonight. I think that of all of them, this is the one that's most likely to go next to new high after Microsoft. We'll get to that in a second. Third, Apple's always hard to stay in. We know that. We had analysts downgraded right up into the quarter, saying negative things right about them when they went to the print. The rap was simple. Apple's got no phones that anyone's really excited about. China's awful. Sales have been stagnant. It's not a growth stock. What would have kept you in? Well, you had to realize that this story is becoming much less about hardware, much more about the fast-growing service revenue stream, along with the opportunity to add billions more users in developing countries. Given the unbelievable customer satisfaction level for Apple products, it's only natural that you buy the services once you get the phone creating a fantastic business model. Plus, China turned out to be fine. Now, just so you see, this is going up, 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 because people just said, you know what, the 15 is going to be terrific. Then down when people realized maybe there wasn't that kind of growth. Then down again because of China. And now I think we're in an up phase. That's what I think is going to happen. Fourth, Meta Platforms is crushing it in the advertising world. Their TikTok killer, which is Reels, is so far ahead of plan that I think it's, it'll eventually rival TikTok in profitability. Instagram's red hot. WhatsApp is worth tens of billions of dollars. However, the outbreak of the war in the Middle East caused a temporary slowdown in advertising, one that's already bounced back from. Uh, and I think when Meta reported, it obscured all the positives. The stock never should have been down on something that predictable. We frequently have interludes where the advertisers pause because of some sort of cataclysm around the world. But if the marketplace is good, they always come back. They have to advertise. And that's exactly what happened with Meta. So if you want to take a look at this one, what you will see is, again, people realize that things are getting better, better and better. And then all of a sudden, we get worried that there's a, a glitch. Now, just so you know, this thing went down all the way to here and then came right back as people realized, you know what, there is no problem. The advertisers are there. I think it takes out that level. How about Microsoft? In the previous quarter, CFO Amy Hood crushed you on the conference call when she said there was a lot of upfront expenses for AI. Okay, and then you saw this, boom, all right? But there had yet, not yet been any material pickup in revenues from AI. Here you had to wait a couple of quarters for increased AI adoption, the introduction of both the Copilot and the pro- uh, product and the GitHub Copilot deal, a more expensive version, which just came out. So what hurt the previous quarter? It ended up being what hurt this ended up helping this because they didn't have the, the revenues from the from right here from uh, Copilot. And here they're starting to come on. You had to buy Microsoft through the weakness, as we advised members of the CBC Investing Club, because you had to believe this great company would eventually be able to monetize its AI investments, and now that's exactly what's happening. Number six, NVIDIA. Doesn't report till November 21st, but the stock's been tough to own ever since it had that blowout quarter back in the spring, okay? It's, the stock's been meandering aimlessly. Here we have the huge number, and then you know, this is what's... And because it hasn't been able to break out, people are saying, you know what, maybe it's finished. Uh, 
you're, you're enduring all sorts of catcalls if you own this stock right now, like a potential slowing in hyperscale spending or government ban on ultra high tech chip sales to China. These worries were, are been enough to shake out tons of investors, especially since the stock's expensive by traditional metrics, something you can't really say about the other members of the Magnificent Seven, except for maybe Tesla. Every time NVIDIA stock dipped, people fled. This is the stock I'm most asked about wherever I'm wandering the streets or going when I'm leaving an Eagles game. I think NVIDIA is still not believed. It was the last to be admitted to the trillion dollar club, and it makes chips that are vital artificial intelligence. But many people simply don't believe that any one company could possibly have that whole market to itself. Yet NVIDIA really does. It's practically invented the market. It's got a huge edge on on everyone else. Remarkable, but true, which is why I always say own it, don't trade it. Finally, there's Tesla. This is a tough one because unlike its magnificent compadres, Tesla actually did report a not-so-great quarter. You have to stay in for the X factor. No, I'm not talking about the fact that Elon Musk owns the company known as X, Twitter. The X factor is Musk himself. That's why, like the others, I can still recommend buying Tesla. But unlike the others, this is a pure cult of personality play. While I'm very much a believer, I also know this is a difficult moment for the auto industry. So owning Tesla requires a leap of faith. Now, in this rundown, I haven't included the myriad times the bond market sent you a signal to sell all the high growth stocks. It doesn't include the endless attempts by the strategist class, especially Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley, get you to sell, leaves out the price target cuts, the downgrades, the negative channel checks, and the like. Doesn't emphasize all the work by the Justice Department and the FTC to hobble these companies, often to the detriment of the consumer. It doesn't include the endless discussions about how the Magnificent Seven are always overvalued. Newsflash, they've been overvalued since they were born. But the bottom line, even without these considerations, it, it wasn't easy sticking with the Magnificent Seven. You had to fight so many trends, so many obvious pain points, so many outspoken naysayers. Remember, as obvious as these winners seem in retrospect, it was very easy to get shaken out. And most at one time or another have been shaken out, perhaps even multiple times. Joseph in Florida. Joseph. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Joseph. What's going on? Hey, Matt. I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me back on the show. My pleasure. What's up? Hey, so I was just wondering here, uh, considering Intel is less expensive than AMD, do you see Intel being a better investment for the long term? No, I don't. I think Intel is, frankly, and we talked to uh, Arm later on, I think you're going to hear that Intel can inch up, but Arm can go far, far faster, particularly even though Arm has been hit in the aftermarket. How about Jim in Florida? Jim. Hey. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, buddy. So, here's my question. Sure. I bought L3 Harris around 200, and I thought it was a great buy because aerospace, defense, and Florida Institute of Technology, all right here. So we've got a bright crop of engineers, and we have good weather, but uh, the stock has lagged. But you uh, know what, Jim? Sometimes the stock is wrong. I am going to urge you, urge you to buy LHX. I think it is an inexpensive, good defense contractor selling it 14 times next year. Pick up LHX right here. As obvious as these magnificent seven winners seem in retrospect, you have to remember it was very easy to get shaken out. That's why I always emphasize the importance of doing your own research, not letting yourself be swayed by the things of experts, and let us help you with the CNBC Investing Club. On Money Tonight, Dutch Bros has fallen from its year's highs, uh, but after spending the last month creeping higher, is this the turning point investors have been waiting for in the West Coast coffee chain going east? 
I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then members of the CNBC Investing Club are familiar with our position on Umana. But after last week's earnings update, is there more to the story that we need to include in our thesis? I'm sharing where I come down on the name. And Arm Holdings, one of the most anticipated IPOs of the year, reported the first quarter, and people are selling it like it's going out of style. Is that the right thing to do? I've got the exclusive with the CEO fresh off the report. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. wild day was for the shares of Dutch Bros. Last night, the Oregon-based coffee chain reported a solid top and bottom line beat with excellent same-store sales growth, and the stock initially jumped 8% at the open today. But then it gave back all the gains and spent the rest of the day flipping back and forth between positive and negative territory, finally finishing up the day nearly 1%. Why the volatility? Because while the results were indeed good, managers said they saw decelerating traffic trends, although that's something they expected as a result of a price increase they put through. So is this a chance to get a strong quarter almost for free, or do we need to be more cautious? Or should we just be thinking real big? Let's check, let's check in with Joth Ricky. He's the outgoing CEO of Dutch Bros to get a better read on the situation. Joth, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Before we get started, I have never been able to give this to you in person, but I wanted to virtually present to you your holiday annihilator. Oh. Um, so you can dream about the opportunity uh, that's ahead of you. So I thought I would just start us off with that. All right. I, 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 I would do a quick commercial for you. I want people to understand that this may be the single best drink I have ever had. And I like a pick me up any hour of the day. And your day part, cold, is just doing incredibly well. Why don't you give us a little, uh, you, you've done remarkable things here. Give us the arc of what's happened to Dutch Bros since you came in, how small it was, how big it is, and what you're leaving for the next person. Well, what's amazing with Dutch, and thank you for that, is, is you know, in early 2018, we had 37 company-operated shops. Out of a total, by the end of 18, we had 317 shops. Um, we now have 500 company-operated shops, and we just opened our 800th location um, earlier in October. Um, trailing 12-month sales of over a billion dollars, and we just opened Alabama and Kentucky. Uh, it's amazing how far east this brand has gone and how well it's been received um, over that period. So 
taking this small brand, creating capacity for a team, building opportunities for operators um, so that they could uh, live their best life and, and look forward to their future and do something very special. So it's been an amazing Amazing five plus years here. And uh, why don't you tell me about the succession plans? Because I've got to get to know your successor quickly. So Christine Barone uh, is our new CEO. She'll be uh, replacing me officially in January 1. She's been with us now for almost a year. Um, I've known Christine for 10 years. I think that she is the most talented up and coming CEO in this industry. Uh, her background was Starbucks. Her background was True Food Kitchen in, in the Phoenix area. Um, she brings an amazing wealth of knowledge and a talent set and a skill set that will take Dutch Bros way into the future. And I, um, she does so many things better than I do, I can't even begin to list them. So I'm very excited for Christine. I'm excited for Dutch Bros and excited for our investors um, to, to, to really be able to give our investors talent like that. OK, the market was tough. So you had, the stock came down, but you needed the money to be able to uh, expand. Are you fine now with money if you wanted to continue? Let's say you wanted to double the stores. Do you think you have the cash flow to do that? Well-capitalized balance sheet. I mean, that's the term. I mean, we we walked into the quarter. We had a plan. We we upsized our credit facility by $150 million. We did our follow-on offering in September, cleaned the balance sheet up, um, leave everybody with a, with a great place going. And I think Christine's working on a revised, you know, real estate strategy that will help us build into uh, for years to come. So there's a lot of flexibility built in now on the back end of this business with the ability to fund the things that we want to go do. All right, so I had my first one, I don't know, about 10 years ago. I, I was always worried that it would only work in Oregon. Turns out that's completely wrong. It seems to work every single place you put them. Yes, it does. I mean, we've been excited about the reception. Um, you know, building that many company-owned shops in a five-year period, you also have to remember that you're building a brand. And so the reception that we've gotten in every market that we've gone into, we're ecstatic about. We open big, we have big lines. Our number one issue in traffic is still the length of our lines um, and the ability to kind of get the perception of how long it takes to get a drink at Dutch Bros. Uh, we'll continue to work on that operationally, but you know, the attention we've had in Texas, the attention we've had in Alabama, the attention we've had in Tennessee and Kentucky just gives us great, a great look forward to what I think we can accomplish in other markets. And our people and our people development systems are really what drive that. And we've talked about that before. Our people are the magic behind this. And uh, with our with our company-owned system and with our Grow From Within program, um, it really allows us to take that magic from what you experienced in Southern Oregon 10 years ago to what our new customers are experiencing in Huntsville, Alabama. Well, there it's was, fantastic. There was a period a couple of years ago where we were worried about how people were poaching, that people wanted to leave, be able to get a raise. Uh, I know you, it's difficult to train people and then see them go, but it seems like now you train them and they're staying, correct? Yeah, people, I think our teams love it here. I mean, this is a great place to work. It's a, we talk about throwing a party in the parking lot every day and uh, the team atmosphere, the energy that we have, the people systems, the development systems that we have. We have 325 people in our leadership pipeline right now that are ready to come in and open new markets for us. So um, our talent depth is strong. Um, hiring continues to be a strength of ours. Our turnover remains very low um, from an industry perspective. And it's something that we pride ourselves on for the future. And, you know, there's Lots of wage activity and other things going on in markets, and we feel like we're really well positioned to compete in that environment. Well, let me ask study thing. When Home Depot moved to, to New York, and then now we're talking about late 80s, uh, the stock doubled instantly because people realized, holy cow, I can't believe there's a store like this. I feel the same way. If you were to come near Wall Street, I am telling you your stock doubles. When will you be here? 
Well, you know that my answer to that is discipline. And we will stay with our plan. I'm not going to run to shiny objects. Uh, we're not going to allow to be chasing things. We're actually going to be very disciplined. Our success is in contiguous growth. Our success is in the ability to run an entire system that allows us to have the four wall margins that we have. And if we start chasing ideas or get off of the way that we're supposed to do things, I think then we'll start talking about why we've had margin decline, even though we're chasing volume. And I want to be very careful about that for the company long term. As much as I want to know, I later, that is really the answer that I wanted, because that's the great answer for shareholders. That's Seth Ricky, Dutch Bros, outgoing CEO. Great job in making this into everything it can be. And I look forward to your next big thing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jim. Man, money's back in for the break. Coming up, the young month has been unkind to its healthcare stock. Is a turnaround part of Kramer's prognosis? Keep it here. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes the market just plain gets it wrong. Last Wednesday morning, Humana reported, Wall Street didn't like it, not one bit. The managed care giant saw its stock tumble 6.6% in response before spending the next couple days grinding even lower. Impressively awful, given that this is happening during the best week of the year for the market. But I think the pullback was actually a mistake. We've owned Humana for the Chapel Trust since the spring of last year, and while we sold some shares and just ranked along the way, it's still a decent side holding. Not only do I recommend it to the investing club, I told you to buy it on air in mid-June. Since then, the stock's up nearly 10%, trouncing the SP 500, which is down slightly over that same period. So I, I think I've got some street cred here. As someone who follows Humana closely, I feel you're getting a terrific opportunity, again, to buy the stock into weakness, especially if you don't already own it, a point I will hammer home again next week at the investing club conference call that I do. Why? Because contrary to the market's reaction, Humana actually had terrific results. They delivered a 62-cent earnings beat off a $7.60 basis, up more than 6% year-over-year, while their sales also came in higher than expected, up more than 18%. So what was wrong in the quarter then? What scared people into selling the stock so aggressively? I think there were three main reasons for the post-earnings sell-off. First and foremost, Humana stock came in just way too high. Okay. It had been posted a strong quarter in August. The stock had been cruising higher and gliding higher and higher in September, October, even as the broader market melted down. From its July lows through the end of October, this darn thing was up nearly 24%. That meant Humana had to clear a very high bar to keep investors happy. Second, there's this key metric management calls the benefits-expense ratio. Now, most health insurers call it the medical loss ratio, MLR. Basically, it's the percentage of the premiums that the company ends up spending to cover medical costs for its members. For Humana, they want that number as low as possible. This time, Humana's expense benefits ratio came in at 86.4%, which was lower than expected. On the surface, I said, ooh, this could be good. However, the expense benefits ratio for the core insurance segment was 87.4, up from 86.6 in the previous quarter, and worse than what management planned for. On top of that, Humana raised its full-year expense benefits ratio forecast. Their guidance implies that the number could be uh, as high as 89.5% in the current quarter. I don't like that. It is worrisome. 
Uh, it's worrisome because all year Wall Street's been worried about that higher medical utilization rates would crush the managed care industry. Is that what's happening now? There was a huge backlog of procedures that got postponed during the pandemic, procedures Humana now needs to pay for, and we thought that mostly they were put behind them. But the expense-benefits ratio guidance we got last week suggests maybe that's not the case. People really started worrying about elevated medical costs in June, but those worries gradually went away, mostly because Humana reported a more benign number in early August. Back then, management said they believed the utilization trends in the third quarter were, quote, incrementally positive as compared to the assumptions utilized in our June quarter uh, update, end, end quote, meaning not as bad as before. And that was a major driver of the stock's outperformance in the months that followed. But as we learned last week, something clearly changed over the course of that quarter. On the conference call, CFO Susan Diamond explained that they're seeing higher than expected medical costs, mostly because of a surprising number of people coming down with COVID. And it's COVID bad enough to get you sent to the hospital. You may have actually saw this COVID spike coming, but they projected it would hit them in the fourth quarter, not the third. But for all we know, it simply came ahead of the schedule. As for the discouraging medical expense forecast, Diamond explained that the company is simply being conservative. I don't mind that. In the end, I don't see these COVID hospitalizations as a structural problem that can disrupt the core thesis. Humana is still best in show when it comes to, and this is why I was first attracted to it, the Medicare Advantage plans. And an attractive business, given our aging population. That's where the money is for these guys. Believe me, they have good management, too. I bet they're actually doing a UPOD situation. These medical costs in the fourth quarter, I think they're under-promising so that they can over-deliver. The third problem, Wall Street didn't love Humana's guidance. Even though they delivered a big earnings beat, they left their full-year earnings forecast unchanged, basically a de facto guide down because of that. There's also management's commentary on 2024. While Humana's been uh, running circles around the competition in terms of membership growth, they expect 2024 Medicare Advantage membership growth to be closer to the overall industry growth rate, around 6 to 8%. That's down 19% this year. Not great. If we were doing 19, now we're going to go down to those single, high single digits? Uh, so by listening to the explanation, though, Humana's targeting slower but more profitable growth. They don't want to add tons of members by offering customers tremendous bargains that will ultimately hurt their bottom line. Seems reasonable to me, actually. If you were looking for a reason to sell Humana, the commentary certainly gave you one. Then there's the earnings forecast for next year. Previously, they were talking about 11 to 15 percent earnings growth, which is in line with the long term earnings growth. But now they say it'll likely be toward the low end of the range. Why? Once again, I think Humana is just being conservative. They're assuming that medical, medical costs stay elevated into next year. Didn't seem to matter. The company said it's on track to reach its 2025 earnings target of $37 per share. That's all the bad news. That all bad news. I mean, there's a lot of it there, right? The stock's tumbled 9% over the course of three days last week. I don't think it's that serious. I think the decline is serious, but not the news. The stock just came in too elevated. Then management slightly reset expectations to account for higher medical utilization costs from this COVID wave, something that could be temporary for all we know. That's why I'm focusing on what I think is most important, the long term with Humana. When I recommend the stock in the weakness in June, I pointed out that management reiterated their full year earnings forecast at 28.25 per share. That was the ball you had to keep an eye on. At this point, I recommend focusing on the 2025 forecast at $37 per share. Based on that number, this stock sells for 13 times 2025 earnings. That is incredibly cheap. For the past five years, this stock has traded just under 19 times forward earnings on average. If they can hit their own 2025 earnings targets and the stock returns to its historic valuation, 
I'm telling you, this thing could hit around 700 bucks. That's up more than $200 from where it's currently trading. Even if you give these numbers a haircut, the stock's seriously underbound. Buy 10 shares. It doesn't, you don't have to buy 100 shares, $500 stock. Buy 10 shares. Here's the bottom line. Don't sweat the small stuff with Humana. There were some incremental negatives in that quarter, as we have explained to CNBC Investing Club people, but the bull thesis remains unchanged. In fact, some of the negatives don't seem that bad to me, like slowing down their medical, Medicare Advantage growth in order to focus on what I like, profitability. That's why I once again urge you, like I did last time when I was right, to buy the stock of Humana into this undeserved post-earnings pullback. Let's take calls. Let's go to Dan in Georgia. Dan. Hi, Jim. Thanks Dan. for taking my call. Of course. Uh, What's we're up? An invest- we're an investor in the health care, such as United Healthcare, and we're concerned about kind of the recent downtrends in this category. What do you suggest? Should we hang on? Oh, man, if anything, buy more. I think that I think that this group is ready to have another move. I think that the uh, that UNH is uh, a competitor to Humana that is very, very good. I like them both. I want you to own it. If it dips, buy more. Humana had some incremental negatives in this quarter, but I think the bull thesis remains unchanged. That's why I once again urge you to the stock of Humana into this post-earnings pullback. Right last time, I think I'll be right this time. Don't touch the dial. Watch more Mad Money ahead. Including my exclusive interview with, wow, arm holding. CEO, fresh off the company's first earnings report as a public company, and I'm in disagreement where the stock is right now. I'm going to tell you that. Then I'm sick and tired of executives telling you everything is fine when it's not. And we got three reports last night where we were told that everything was fine, and it's not. All, then, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tonight, Arm Holdings, the newly public semiconductor design kingpin, bought its first quarter since the IPO, and it's clear, I think, at least to me, they're off to a great start. Let me put this in perspective. For several quarters leading up to the IPO, Arm had negative revenue growth. This time, the revenue came in much higher than expected, up 28% year-over-year, because many more chips are being sold that use the company's proprietary architecture. On top of that, they delivered a 10-cent earnings beat off a 26-cent basis. Hey, get this, free cash flow up 400% year-over-year, bonanza quarter. At the same time, though, Arm's guidance was a bit noisy with what I regard to be a conservative earnings forecast. However, sellers are smashing the stock down because I think they don't understand how this company works. I think they're dead wrong, and people should be buyers, not sellers, because of how great the future is. So there's nothing negative here when you consider what awaits you in cloud, cell phones, autos, data centers, and most important, artificial intelligence, where they are NVIDIA's key partner. Hey, why don't we take a closer look with Renee Haas? He's the CEO of Arm Holdings to learn more about what's really going on here. Mr. Haas, congratulations on a strong first quarter right out of the gate, and welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. Okay, so it's first time one. So what we have to do is put you within the, uh, how about just the world of semiconductors so people understand how special you are both in your model of, of a royalty-based model and also all the different uses that, were, that will be being used as opposed to just telephones and handsets, which is what we used to know, yes. Yeah, well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about our company, which is um, not an easy one for people to, uh, to grok the first time out. Maybe the easiest way to think about it, Jim, is that uh, – Somewhere, somehow, 70% of the world's population touches ARM in some way. So whether that's your automobile, the data center, your smart lock at home, your set-top box, and your digital TV, 
uh, you're touching ARM in some way. We're, we're known for smartphones, which is kind of the birth of the company, but now we're a much more diversified company. Cloud data center, as I said, automotive, IoT, uh, and of course, PCs and smartphones. Well, I think it's important for people to recognize your, your background is with one of our favorites, NVIDIA. Uh, you are a arm-in-arm -arm select partner with NVIDIA for some of the most exciting technology in the world right now, artificial intelligence. How did you get that? And is some of it proprietary in the sense that I know you burn cool, cool. Jensen, the CEO of NVIDIA, and you, I know, are friends, and you don't like to do things that hurt the environment. Somehow, people have to get their arms around this. That's really important to you. Uh, it is. You know, NVIDIA is a great partner, and, and yes, I, I, I spent a lot of years there. Jensen uh, is a great friend, mentor, uh, and boss. We, we do a lot of work with NVIDIA, and I think one of, the, one of the better examples in terms of how we work together and why we're a great partner for them is their next generation chip uh, called Grace Hopper, their super chip for, for AI. Uh, training takes uh, a tremendous amount of compute power, which the GPU is very good for. But every GPU needs to connect to a CPU. You can't have a GPU without a CPU. And the CPU does a lot of work in terms of helping with the training, but also everything relative to the software in the system. When you're in an application that I just described, you need the most power efficient CPU on the planet. Uh, previously, they used to connect to external devices. Now with this great Grace Hopper design, they use 72 up to 140 form ARM CPUs. And the reason why is, we're great at power efficiency. Uh, that's what we do. So it's a great combination. Now, I also think that I don't want to pigeonhole you to even that because I'm looking at this gigantic PC refresh. And I got to believe that ARM has decided you are going to take a big role in the next generation PC. Well, we like to think we already have started that. Uh, one uh, major ecosystem and operating system has moved all of their platforms uh, to ARM, and we're thrilled. Uh, the Windows ecosystem is starting to move that way as well. Uh, the experience you get on these PCs, uh, great performance, low battery life. Again, that's what we're really good at. Now, when AI starts to move to these edge devices and you start running things like the GPT agents that Sam talked about the other day in the OpenAI developer conference or Copilot from Microsoft, that requires uh, even more and more compute. And when you're doing more and more compute to support these AI algorithms, you want to do it as efficiently as possible. So I think we're into a, a, a refresh cycle for PCs and phones. But candidly, Jim, I think for all devices, uh, our quarter was, was so strong, largely driven by licensing revenue, which is an indicator for R&D investment. And what we're seeing now is really a, a super cycle of investment where Today's compute uh, requirements uh, are greater than what the capabilities of the chips have. So what does that mean? Uh, we're nowhere near good enough. So people are investing in more and more chips, more and more compute, which is, uh, which is good for ARM. Now, I know that there are people who are quickly reacting to a stock, uh, actually before the comms call, which is always dreadful. But more importantly, they look at what you've done with, uh, with, with handsets. They know that handsets are down, but they're just extrapolating. And also, because you have a very large customer we tend not to be able to talk about, that, because that, that's just the custom of things. They're looking at you saying, oh, but you know what? They're, they're stagnant right out of the box. Isn't it quite the opposite? You are, this is the beginning of a new arm, an arm that even if cell, if cell phones don't do well, can have extraordinary numbers. We were largely associated with smartphones, as you said. Now, today, less than half of our revenue comes from that segment. We are a very, very different company, very, very diversified. Combination of a strategy that we put in place a number of years ago to do that, 
But also at the same time, Jim, what has happened is the electrification of your vehicle, you now run on batteries, a car is a computer on wheels, that needs to be power efficient, that's great for ARM. We talked about the data center, there's also IoT, 5G, all these applications that, that use ARM. So for us, uh, I think just associating with the smartphones, while it's a great market, it's not the right way to think about the company anymore. All right, Grace Hopper, let's talk about that, because that is probably, that is the most sought-after next-gen chip there is. It's an incredible, device. there's amazing video. Every time I see the video, it's always ARM and NVIDIA. I don't see AMD, and I don't specifically see Intel and AMD. I think a lot of people might think that Intel, AMD are, are fungible versus you. It, to me, it seems like you're locked in. Intel's out. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know about that. But what, it, what I would say is that the needs uh, for these large AI compute systems in the cloud require a lot of compute power, and they have to be very, very power efficient. Uh, when you're talking about hundreds of megawatts into a data center uh, and increasing that for these compute workloads, you want to squeeze out every ounce of energy that you possibly can. So that's why we've seen partners such as AWS with Graviton uh, moving heavily to the cloud. And we're seeing even more and more applications such as uh, SAP HANA running on Graviton. So even areas that are around uh, conventional applications where people thought, well, that's not really a good place for ARM, we're seeing a very rapid conversion to that. So uh, we're, we're really optimistic about our uh, growth potential uh, in the cloud. I think there are people who will look at the free cash flow that I mentioned and say, no, that, that's actually not possible. But the fact is, is you have an amazing model where uh, the actual design, the actual making of these ships is done and typically a Taiwan semi. That's how you can have this kind of cash flow, right? Because I think people are going to think it's otherworldly. It's, it's a little out of this world. Uh, we sit completely in the semiconductor value chain. So all the companies we talked about uh, build chips or build systems. And as we talked about, 70% of the world population and some hardware device has ARM inside. Uh, yet we don't build anything. Uh, so what we do is we do the design and we design that CPU or a GPU or an NPU, and then we license it to someone who's going to go off and build a chip. Uh, my whole life has been uh, in semiconductors. And as you said, I, I used to work in NVIDIA and, and, and with Jensen. And when I came to ARM and I saw, oh my gosh, we've got no inventory, uh, we've got no scrap, uh, we've got no uh, write downs on uh, orders that we can't fulfill, what a great model. Uh, so, yes, we, are, we operate at software-like gross margins, but we sit inside the semiconductor ecosystem. Well, next question. I want people to understand that when you think of artificial intelligence, when you think of training, that's really key, training, we should be thinking not just of NVIDIA, but we really should be thinking always of ARM. Overstatement? Not at all. And, in fact, when you think about AI, you should be thinking about training, and ARM is very, very good, as we just mentioned with NVIDIA on this partnership with Grace Hopper, but you also think about inference. You know, inference is about taking all that training and then using it for real life applications. You know, one of the analogies I give is think of training as the teacher, but inference as the students. And students are essentially that take all that training workload and put it in a real life application. And that is where you're going to see the explosion of growth across AI. Uh, I know you're a big football fan, so am I. We're uh, two minutes into the first quarter. 
of this game. Uh, there's a long way to go. It's going to be very exciting. Well, uh, McCaffrey is the only person who can stop us, is what I have to say. Renee Haas it knows more about PCs and more about cell phones and more about autos, but really knows more about artificial intelligence than anybody I've ever met, save perhaps your mentor, Jensen Wong at NVIDIA. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your first quarter, which is a great one. And thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thank you so much. Mad Money will be back here for the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Cover the lightning round. Let's go to Leanne in Hawaii. Leanne. Aloha, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Mahalo. The What's downgrade of the, re- the recent downgrade of Fortinet, uh, was it overdone? No, no, Fortinet's, Fortinet, I don't want you in Fortinet, I want you in Palo Alto Networks, P-A-N-W, I think that's going much higher. Let's go to Scott in Arizona, Scott. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, what's up? Booyah, booyah. Thanks for everything you do for all of us individuals. Uh, I appreciate it, thank here. you, thank you. I've got, uh, I've got AI plays in uh, NVIDIA, Microsoft, Adobe, and Meta, and I'm interested whether or not you think I should add more of a speculative play uh, ticker symbol path. Do I pass? No, no, yeah. that's not. Doesn't even belong in the same paragraph as the ones you just mentioned. You stick to the ones you mentioned, and if they go down, you buy more of those. Do not touch path. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Jim. This is Joe from Freehold, New Jersey. Hey, I have Joe. A what's happening? Okay. How you doing? Not I love bad, your show. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I have a question for you. I own. I'm retired, and I own Prudential Financial Inc. in my 401k. Is that the right place for well, it? Well, I, I am concerned you- about it. I'm concerned about it because when I see a stock that yields 5.5 and sells at seven times earnings, it makes me think that something's wrong, not something's cheap. So let's just be careful. I need to go to Luke in New York. Luke. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Luke. I watch you every night with my son, Elias. She's been begging me to call you for this. So well, I'm, glad you're on the, I'm glad you're on the show. How can I help? <laughs> We wanted to ask you about Diageo. Sicker, Getting sicker. bad vibes of Diageo. I think a lot, you know, the Browns and the Clears, as we like to call them in the game, are not selling as well as we thought, and they paid top dollar for a bunch of them. I want you to stay away from Diageo. I think the one you want to be, you want to be more in beer. You want to be in beer, and that means you want to be in STZ Constellation, which we don't for the trust. That's the one to buy. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for taking my phone call. How you doing? I'm doing well, Bob. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Hey, so I have a buddy who's a former Apache pilot, and now he's in the Coast Guard. <clears throat> Shout out MDR. But he always uh, recommended this uh, stock, and I just want to get your thoughts on Textron. I think your buddy, DST. and I thank him for serving, is doing is, is got a real good call on things. Textron is way too cheap. I don't understand why it's down here. It's a buy. Let's go to Steven in New York. Steven. Hey, the fundamentals on my stock recently haven't been too pretty, but with this recent consolidation, I was thinking about getting Target here. Should I Target yields four percent. It's not bad. Look, I like Costco. I like Walmart. I like Amazon. I like TGX. Target's really be afflicted by by stealing. I'm telling you, that stock will be dramatically higher if it weren't for stealing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. 
Coming up, has fintech been fibbing? Kramer questions the rosy outlook from three stocks you may already own when we return. I'm so tired of executives telling us things are going great when in reality they're anything but. That's how I feel after reading that the Toast, Robin and Marcus, and Upstart conference calls from last night. All three companies, a point of sale play, a brokerage house, an online lending platform, did their best to throw some Estee Lauder makeup on the quarter, but the market wasn't buying it. Toast stock plunged nearly 14%, Robinhood 14%, Upstart lost 27%. Well, I'm not thrilled with the results from any of these companies. What really infuriates me is all the obfuscating verbiage from management about how everything's stupendous. Vlad Tennant, the co-founder and CEO of Robin, went out of his way to paint lipstick on this pig of a quarter. Listen to this. Quote, as we continue to execute our strategy, we believe we can grow into one of the largest and most profitable financial companies in the world. End quote. His CFO, Jason Warnick, is equally promotional. Quote, I'm excited about the momentum we're building and believe we have a huge opportunity ahead of us. We believe we can deliver new capabilities and enhance customer experience while producing great financial outcomes for our shareholders. End quote. These guys go on and on about momentum and increased customer adoption and national expansion. Sounds terrific. What's the reality? Robinhood's numbers were weaker than expected, to the point where estimates had to be trimmed across the board. Price targets set lower. Most damning, the breakdown of the company's transaction-based revenue. 67% of its options, 12% cryptocurrencies, and then the remaining 21% is the kind of brokerage business that may actually be lasting. Monthly average users, down, not up. How does anyone have the chutzpah to call that momentum? Toast seemed like it had been looking through the looking glass quarter. Uh, Chairman and CEO Christopher Camperato painted a totally rosy picture. Quote, our focus has been on durable, though in delivering durable and efficient growth, and our third quarter results reflect execution on that objective, end quote. They're talking about building operating leverage through, quote, consistent execution, end quote. Toast headline numbers were better than expected, but Conquer Genuity called the quarter a mixed bag. They highlighted a, quote, softening in same-store sales starting in September, which persisted to October, end quote. So expect more estimate cuts. Every research report pointed to a deceleration. Now, Toast does point of sale software for the restaurant business. And from my time in the industry, I can tell you this is a very competitive space. If you're in a restaurant, you're always being approached with something cheaper, better, and more integrated. In my view, the stock never deserved its premium valuation. Even after today's beatdown, it doesn't have enough of a discount to make it at all enticing for me. Third and perhaps most egregious, Upstart's management team is constantly telling us how great things are. They've always been ready to say how they're optimistic about how the company can grow revenues and pace any bull with love. They gloss over any negatives, make it sound like they're running the artificial intelligence-powered bank of the future. And then they repeatedly miss numbers. When I read the conference call transcript this time, I only had one question. What are these guys smoking? So what's the reality? Listen to Wedbush. Guidance for fourth quarter below our prior forecast, while, quote, a sharp deceleration, a sharp decline in auto originations indicates incremental stress, end quote. They also point out to, and I quote, credit performance incrementally worse, especially for prime borrowers, end quote. I think this is an incredibly bad business in a world where high interest rates and a stressed out consumer is going to make it even harder. But it always sounds rosy if you listen to Upstart. Look, I know all CEOs want to tell a good story, but I fear that if you actually read these overly optimistic, ill-advised conference calls, you'd think things are terrific at all three of these companies. It's actually the opposite. Frankly, their plummeting stock prices tell you everything you need to know. But psst, you didn't hear that from management. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.